Open your Bibles this morning to Luke, Luke 22, Luke chapter 22. The title of the sermon will be Sifted to Serve, Sifted to Serve. Luke 22, we're going to start at verse 31, read through verse 34. I'll give you a few moments to flip there. Luke 22, verse 31. This is Jesus predicting Peter's denial. And he says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. He says, But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren... But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father God, again, Lord, we just uh, we bow before you, Lord. We're so thankful to be in your house today, God, worshiping you. And Lord, we're thankful for the songs that were just sung. And God, how, how beautiful heaven must be, God. And Lord, we can't wait to, to be in your presence and to experience all that you have waiting for us, God, our inheritance in, in eternity. And Lord, I pray that as we think about that today, Lord, we be motivated to live for you, uh, knowing that there is something greater uh, that lies before us. So God, today, just help us to just read your word, understanding. I pray, God, that you would, you would just speak in our hearts, and I pray we'd be blessed by it. And Lord, I just want to pray that you would bless our time for the next few moments. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, today, I've intentionally tried to keep this as short as I can because the longer I talk, the more I want to cough. So uh, I'm going to try not to cough all over you up here this morning. And before you um, get panicky, uh, I went to the doctor this week and I have a, I like a sinus infection. So that's, that's what I'm being treated for. So um, I, I told somebody last week, I, I was at my mom and dad's and me and Meg did some grass cutting. And they have quite a big yard, and it's real sandy. And, uh, and of course, Meg was uh, cutting the grass. I was weed-eating, but the dust was, we looked like that, you know, the, the Charlie Brown cartoon, Pig Pen? Every time he walks, there's dust cloud around him. That's what it looked like. It was dust clouds everywhere, and I was breathing all that in, and it, it, it got the better of me. So this morning, we're going to look at this scripture, and I titled this Sifted to Serve because this is what we see going on here is that, um, is that Jesus is telling Peter here that the that Satan has asked for him that he may sift him as wheat. Now, here's what I want you to note this morning. We're just going to kind of jump right into this, and and I hate that we've kind of just pulling this right out of the chapter. But if we preached everything in this chapter, well, I guess we would have to cover 71 verses, and I don't know that you want to do all of that this morning. So, but what was leading up to this point in chapter 22? is we've got the plot to kill Jesus here. This is right before he is uh, arrested and brought up and crucified. But we see at the beginning of chapter 22, we've got the chief priests and the scribes. They're, uh, they're, they're trying to figure out how they can have him arrested. We see here that Judas is entered by Satan, and we see that in, this, in just a few moments he, 
At the beginning of this chapter, he makes a deal with the religious crowd there to sell Jesus to them, uh, betray him more or less for 30 pieces of silver. We see the Passover taking place here with the Lord and uh, the disciples. And then what's funny is we have this moment going on here in Scripture where the devil really attacks, uh, attacks Peter. And what I find interesting is right before this prediction is made by Jesus here in verse 31, if you were to back back up in the same chapter in verses 24 through 30, you see the disciples are disputing among themselves as to which of them should be considered the greatest. So we see pride has kind of entered into all of the disciples at this point. I mean, listen, when, when 11 men can walk on the road with Jesus and all of them are trying to decide who's the greatest, uh, okay, we've got an issue here because the greatest is the one walking in front of them more than likely, and they've started focusing on themselves and that temptation, doesn't it? I'll, I'll, that's a whole sermon right there in itself, but I'll just give you a note here real quick. Like, is in, anytime we are following God and anytime we're in church and we're trying to serve the Lord, anytime when we start trying to figure out how great we are, we're, we've missed a boat, okay? The one that our focus should be on, and in church, you need to hear me. In church, our focus should all be on, always be on the Lord Jesus Christ and Him only. It shouldn't be on us. It shouldn't be on what makes us happy or what makes us comfortable or, or, you know, what floats our boat. It really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I like. It doesn't matter what you like. What it boils down to is what Jesus leading us to do, and that's what we have to follow. And so these men here are having this debate amongst themselves, and I believe that all of them, and, of course, we see here it's not going to be long. It's not going to be long that when Jesus is arrested that they all scatter. All of them scatter. The only one that went to the cross was John. And I think their focus, they kind of lost focus a little bit, kind of got looking at themselves instead of the Lord. But now we see here in verse 31, after this little debate that took place amongst them, we get into verse 31, and we see again, this is what we're picking up, is that Jesus tells Peter, Satan has the desire. He's desired to sift you as wheat. Now, I want you to note here that Jesus didn't call him Peter. He called him Simon which was his old name. That was his original name. Peter was the name Jesus gave him. Matter of fact, oftentimes he's called Simon Peter. But I think the fact that he called him Simon here, he's, maybe I don't know this for a fact, but I just, I'm pondering this thought that as I'm reading this, I wonder if the Lord might have just been reminding Peter of that old nature that still lives inside of him. Okay, just because you're following Jesus doesn't mean that the old nature doesn't exist anymore. And that's a note for you and I today. That even though I'm a born-again Christian, I've been washed in the blood by faith in the grace of Jesus Christ and mercy. Am I a Christian today? But however, that old Vance, he's still in there. Okay? He's still in there. And that flesh battles that uh, Christian nature that's in me, the Holy Spirit that lives inside me. It battles. And if I'm not careful... I will give in to the wrong one sometimes. And, I, and you hear me say this all the time, but the Apostle Paul, who had more to do with most of the New Testament as far as planting churches and, and writing the letters and all, we, we see his hand all in the New Testament. A very godly man, a man that God used, but even he made this statement. He said, there are times when I do things that I wish I wouldn't do. I know it's wrong, but I do them anyway. And the things that I know I'm supposed to be doing... Those are the things that I don't do. So even Paul was saying, look, I battle that fleshly nature. You and I still do as well. So I think when Jesus called him Simon, I think he's reminding him, look, Satan's desiring to sift you as wheat. And trust me, that old nature, if you're not careful, you're going to give in to it. And so, and the fact that he used the name twice, 
Now, according to John Phillips in his commentary, he says this. He said, the use of the double name, and we see that all throughout Scripture. He said, the double use of a name was intended to arrest attention. In other words, he's trying to get Peter's attention. Peter, pay attention to me. Right here. Pay attention. It's kind of like, you know, if you ever want to speak to your children, do you, do you call them by their whole name when you want their attention? Yeah. Sometimes, you know, uh, like summer, for instance, you know, if I'm just wanting a small talk, where I go? Summer. Summer. But when I'm trying to get her attention, I go, Summer Collie. You know, like, what? Right here. Pay attention, you know. But she still doesn't. But I try to get her attention anyway. But um, see, like right now, she's just chewing, chewing, I'm looking off in space. You know, so anyway. But, but, you know, he called him Simon, Simon. He used his name twice. He's trying to get his attention and say, I need you to listen to me. What he was trying to explain to him is you're about to go through a very difficult time. And he was. All the disciples were about to go through a very difficult time. Jesus knew what was coming. They didn't know. Even though he had told them, I don't think they could quite wrap their minds around it. But he says here, he's asked to sift you. Now, sifting... If you know what sifting is, you'll see that in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, mostly what we see in the Bible about sifting is sifting wheat. And a lot of times it would be done on a threshing floor. And it would usually be done in a, in a kind of like a, a windy place, like maybe a wind tunnel. I won't call it a wind tunnel, but something where the wind would flow through like a wind tunnel. And they would have the wheat there on the, um, on the floor, and it would have the, the husk and I would be mixed in with it. And they would have what's called a winnowing fork. And they would take this and they would pitch it up in the air. But they needed the wind because the wheat, uh, the kernel of the wheat was heavier than the husk was. So the point in pitching it up in the air and the wind blowing was to blow the husk away because the husk was undesirable. You didn't want that part. You wanted the meat, which was the kernel of the wheat. So you pitched it up, the husk blew away, the, uh, the wheat kernel fell back to the ground, and that's what's called sifting. And so when you think about him desiring to sift uh, Peter, you kind of get the idea of of separating or filtering, and this is what sifting means. It means the process of separating or filtering the good from the bad, the desirable from the undesirable. So you think about uh, Satan wanting to sift Peter as wheat. He's wanting to strip him down. He's wanting to tear him down to there's nothing left to him. He wanted, just, he wanted to just make, uh, uh, just embarrass him and, and make his faith falter and, and, to, and to not follow God like he was supposed to. And listen, I believe he wants to do the same with us today. Listen, as a born-again Christian, he can't have me, but he can destroy my testimony if I let him. He can't have me. I am in that. Listen, when I got saved, I personally believe, and, and here's what I'll tell you, because there may be somebody who's going to disagree with me today. If you disagree with me, that's okay. I, I don't hate you, and I pray that you don't hate me. And I pray that you come to this conclusion on your own. But I believe in eternal security, okay? I believe that when I'm saved, I'm saved. And if you don't believe that way, that's okay. I got friends that don't believe that way. But I still love them, and they still love me. But the Bible says that I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. Sealed until the day of redemption. If you do any kind of studying about kings in the day, when they sealed something, it was sealed. And nobody could open that or break that seal except them. When God sealed me with the Holy Spirit, I am sealed, the Bible says, until the day of redemption. We talked about the rapture last week. That could happen any time. And if that's the case, I am sealed until that day when he comes to get me. Okay? Whether it be through rapture or the death, I am sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. I don't believe anything can take me out of God's hands. And I've had people that I'm friends with that believe otherwise. It says, but, but you can take yourself out of God's hands. I said, I don't believe that. 
I said, because if I could do that, then that makes me more powerful than God. And I'm not more powerful than God. See, if you read the book of Hebrews, I think it's in chapter 11, where it talks about that in the Old Testament they had sacrifices with bulls and, and of rams and things of that nature, lambs. And, and they had to do this once a year for the atonement of sin. The reason they had to do it once, for a, year, once a year because that blood was not capable of saving once and for all. Jesus Christ, matter of fact, if you read the book of Hebrews, the theme of the book of Hebrews is better, better. It is saying that Jesus Christ is better than anything the Old Testament law had to offer. And so when Jesus came and died on the cross, it says that he came and died once and for all so that his blood may save us and keep us. And so if his blood can't save me and keep me, that it says that Jesus' blood is no more better, no more better. That's not correct. It's no better, okay, if you want an English lesson, you're in the wrong place, okay? Uh, that, that if, if that's the case, then Jesus' blood is no better than a goat or a ram or, or a bull. But it is, isn't it? So that's why I believe in eternal security. So he can't have us today. Getting back into the sermon, Satan can't have me, but he can sure tempt me to follow after him and to fall and to harm and lose my testimony and not only harm my testimony but the church's testimony and so we have to guard against that and that's why Jesus is warning him you need to note that Satan has asked for you now we know later on I think Peter learned something this for this moment because if you go over into first uh, Peter and I'm going to flip there I wasn't sure if I was but I am uh, if you want to flip with me you can you can jot it down and look later and I know you know what it says, but I'm assuming that maybe you don't. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Peter wrote this later on in a letter. He says here, he tells the church, he said, be sober. And this is, this is caution to us today. He says, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, he walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So when Peter wrote this, he wrote this from personal experience. He was letting the, he was letting the church know that, look, your adversary... The devil, he's like a roaring lion, and he's constantly looking for people he could devour. Peter had gone down that road. He knew what he was talking about. And it's, it's a, listen, it's a warning to us today that he's still out there. He's still seeking those that he may devour, destroy, and he's constantly going here and there looking for that. But here's what I want you to note today. This is encouraging news. Jesus was very much aware of what was going on in Peter's life. That's encouraging news. Get that right here. Make a, make a note in your Bible. Write it on a piece of paper. Make a note in your brain. Whatever you need to do this morning, you make a mental note, and I want you to get this, okay? Uh, Ron mentioned to me uh, last week about preaching a sermon, and this is not it, but preaching a sermon on the devil, or however many sermons we can get out of that. And, and this kind of what's got my mind going in this direction. Here's what I want you to note today, and we have a tendency to do this if we're not careful. We have a tendency to make good versus evil, God versus Satan. Well, that's not really true. Because, see, when we do that, what do we do? Is we put them on equal playing grounds. Not true at all. God is God. 
Satan is a created being. He's a fallen angel. That's all he is. In other words, he doesn't do anything that he don't check in with God first. And because you need to know here, when, Pete, when Jesus made this comment, he said, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. In other words, he had to come to Jesus and get permission to do what he was doing. Isn't that good stuff? Now, I know you're looking and going, that's not good at all because Jesus gave me permission. Well, we'll get into that in just a moment. But the point is, is he has no authority except God gives him or allows him, I should say, to do what he's doing. So you say, well, Brother Vance, what does that mean? Well, the good news is this. Nothing comes into my life that doesn't go through the hands of God first. That's encouraging to me. I don't always like my circumstances. 75% of the time, I don't like my circumstances, okay? Sometimes life just, it stinks. I'm just going to be honest with you. The uh, Bible tells us that it rains on the just and the unjust alike. We all have our problems. But sometimes God does allow things in our lives that honestly... If I had to choose that road, I wouldn't have walked it. But at the same time, when I get to the end of those roads and look back, I wouldn't trade the blessings either. I wouldn't walk that road again given a second choice. I'd say, no, I don't want to do it again. But the things that I learned in the process, and that is this, I, don't, I, I get chills thinking about some of the roads that I've walked in my 50 years because they've been hard. But when I saw the faithfulness of God through those difficult times, he never left me. He never forsook me. He was always faithful. And that I wouldn't trade for anything because I, listen, as I, I've shared this with you guys before, and I'll share it with you again today, uh, grass doesn't grow on the mountaintops. Grass grows in the valleys. Um, and, and if you want to grow, then you're going to have to go through some valleys. It's just, it's just the way it is. Had that, had that told to me one time by a pastor that used to pastor Central Baptist in Waycross. Now he uh, works at Truett McConnell University. And uh, can't really remember exactly what he does up there at the moment, but he's on staff up there. But he, he shared this with me a long time ago. I had a chance to meet him, and, and uh, I don't know, we just struck up a conversation. And he asked me where was I at my walk with God, and I... I told him, you know, where I was pastoring at, and he, and he says, oh, well, I'm going to tell you. He said, I'll go ahead and, and give you a straight up because you're new in the ministry. He said, there's dark days ahead of you. He said, just beware. He said, but it's in all of our lives. He said, but as a pastor, you're going to see dark days. And I, I, you know, I didn't really put a whole lot of thought into it at the moment. He said, I'll share you a, a quick story. He said, when God called me to preach, he said, I had just got married. He said, um, we had been married a real, real long time. I surrendered to the call to preach. He said, I felt like God wanted us to move, to sell our home where we were at, move to another state so I could go to college, to seminary, so I could get my degree. He said, which I have at this point. And um, he said, but we did. We sold everything, packed everything. He said, moved to a whole other state. He said, got out there. And, and I'd been in college for a couple of years. Things were going good. I was pastoring a small church. While I was going to college, he said to my wife, come up expecting, which was what we wanted. We were trying to plan a family. He said, and then halfway through that, she lost that baby. He said, floored me. He said, did not see that one coming. He said, because here's what I thought. Now, this is him sharing this testimony. I'm, just, I'm glued with him at this point. I'm glued to what he's saying. He says, here's where my mind was at, Vance. He said, I thought, God, I'm a Christian. I've surrendered to preach. I've, I've, I've packed my bags and moved to another state, and I've went to seminary like you told me to. God, you blessed me with a wife. Why would anything go wrong in my life? 
I'm doing everything you told me to. He said, matter of fact, I, I just assumed we were going to have a healthy child. He said, and then when she lost it, he said, I was on my knees before God crying. He said, ripped my heart out. He said, and I cried. He said, because my wife is upset. He says, I'm crying. I, I'm trying to make sense of it all. I, I'm trying to be a comfort to her when in reality, he says, I, I'm not even good myself. He said, and I saw God. He said, God, I don't understand. Why would this happen in my life when I'm doing everything you told me to? He said, I actually, Vance, was coming from the point of, he said, I was almost arrogant with God. Like, God, I, you owe me this. He said, and thank the Lord, God's merciful. He said, because I had no right to say that, but that's how I felt. He said, in the midst of my prayer, God reminded me of how good he was and that he was faithful and that things don't always turn out the way I want them to and that maybe he knew something that I didn't know. He said, but through all of that, I learned this. He said, that grass grows in the valleys, not on the mountaintops. He said, I come out of that moment stronger than I went into it he said, so did my wife. He said, God bless us with children later on. He said, and they're all healthy. He said, but that broke my heart. He said, but I wouldn't, he said, and I wouldn't do it again for nothing. He said, but I wouldn't trade the experiences for anything either. He said, because God is faithful. He said, I'm a stronger person now and a stronger Christian and a better pastor having gone through that. And so I've never forgotten that, that sometimes God allows us to travel roads that we wouldn't choose for ourselves. And we may never understand on this side of eternity what it means. But we've got to trust the one who does. And I know that's easier said than done. So, uh, but anyway, but Satan, God does allow things into our life sometimes. But the good news is, it has to go through God's hands first. Matter of fact, if you were to flip over to Job, and for, uh, for time I won't this morning, but if you were to look over in Job chapter 1, verse 6 through 12, we won't, we won't uh, go there this morning, but if you want to jot that down and go and look, you'll see again that before Satan was allowed to touch, touch Job, God had to give him permission. He did, but he had to get permission. So whatever's going on in your life this morning, maybe nothing's going on in your life. Hang tight, it's coming. That's encouraging, isn't it? I've always said you either going through a storm, just came out of a storm, or you're about to go into a storm. That's, that's life. So, but the good news is, is whatever's going on in your life, God allowed it. But the question we've got to ask this morning is, why did Jesus allow Satan to attack Peter so severely? John Phillips, again, has this opinion, and I would have to agree with him on this. Phillips said, so that he might emerge stronger on the other side and be in a position to strengthen his brethren. And we're going to see that show up in Scripture in just a moment. But let's jump right into our points now. Well, that was all introduction. I still got three points. Three quick points, though. All right. Whew. Point one. God warns Peter of the struggle. Notice what he says in verse 32 here. We just got out of verse 31. Just notice the first half of verse 32. <coughs> He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. This is good stuff, okay? Because he looks at him and says, Peter, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Now, that's good stuff because Jesus was praying for Peter. And you need to know that Jesus prays for us. Jesus is praying on our behalf. Matter of fact, Scripture records 
one time where he was praying while he was still on his earthly ministry in John chapter 17. We see this uh, long prayer right before Jesus was to be arrested and crucified. It says, he says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world. This is in John 17, verse 9. He says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. He was praying for all those that was following him already, but all those that would follow him later on. John writes this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. The apostle John, he says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And then, of course, Hebrews, we mentioned that a while ago, chapter 4, verse 15 and 16 says this. He says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then Charles Stanley made this quote. He said, because Jesus knows what it feels like to be tempted, he is sympathetic towards us. That is, he does not feel annoyed at our failures or exasperated with our struggles. He knows just how to move us on to maturity. God wants us to come boldly into his presence, not timidly or anxiously or in fear, excuse me, in fear of how he might respond. He wants to help us and he has all the grace we need to confront any challenge we might face. That's good stuff. That's what I'm saying in all these verses is this. We're going to struggle in this life. There's going to be temptation, but we don't have to give in to those temptations. The enemy is constantly attacking. And listen, we look around the world right now, and we see a lot of things going on. We see the enemy is winning, it looks like. But take heart. Take heart. Listen, it may seem like he's winning. But remember what we talked about last week? The rapture's coming. God is going to take his children home. And after that, the glorious appearing will happen at the end of the tribulation period. And God is going to come set everything right. So right now, it looks like what is basically going on, and this is what I believe. I believe the Lord is being very patient right now with the church and with people. But at, one, at some point, the patience is going to stop, okay? I believe he's given a lot of people a lot of opportunities to get right with God. But we need to keep living for him and serving him. And listen, life is difficult sometimes. We have hardships. We have struggles. And yes, there is a real enemy. Paul wrote about it in Ephesians chapter 6. We battle an enemy that we can't see. And a lot of times I can look around the church and we see that he's winning that battle in a lot of people's lives. But I remember what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, when Paul prayed and asked God to remove the thorn in his flesh. Jesus told him, he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God's strength is strong enough, church. Listen to me. God's strength is strong enough to get us through everything that we're going through. No matter how difficult the times are, no matter how hard the temptations are, we don't have to give in to them. We seek God. We pray to God. He's an advocate. He's there for us. He's praying on our behalf. There is nothing in this world that can overcome us unless we allow it to. Nothing. We don't have to give in to the temptations and the sins of this world. We can live above those things. Why? You say, Brother Vance, well, I, I said last week, God said that we're to be holy because He's holy. Now listen, we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside us. Holy Spirit, part of the Godhead Trinity. And listen, because He lives inside of us, 
He is there to comfort us. He is there to strengthen us and to guide us in all truth. That's, that's what he does. And so when we find ourselves in difficult situations, instead of reacting in a negative way, we need to stop what we're doing, pray, and ask God to help us. That's what the Holy Spirit's there for, to help us be the kind of people that we're supposed to be and how to live holy lives. Now, the second point is this. God warns Peter of the slide. Now, jump down into verse 34. <coughs> Now, excuse me for a second. Verse 34 said this. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you deny me or will deny me three times that you even know me. Now, what prompted Jesus to make that statement in verse 34? Well, that's what prompted that was verse 33. When Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. See, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, you're going to, listen, he says, you're going to, um, uh, Satan wants to sift you as wheat, and I prayed for you. And Peter, you know, being Peter, and I can relate to Peter. He had that foot and mouth disease, you know. He always, always speaking when he ought to just being quiet. You know, Peter, just listen to what the man's saying and hush, you know. Jesus is speaking. But Peter, you know, being Peter, he steps up and goes, Lord, I'm not going to do that. Matter of fact, other places record where he says that those other people may fail you. The other disciples, they may let you down. God, I'm not going to let you down. He tells him, he says, I'll go to prison for you and even to death. But I'm reminded, I'm reminded of something over here in Matthew 26. Matthew 26. In verse 40. That I think is worth reading that Jesus said to the disciples in the Gospel of Matthew, this is when he's praying in the garden. And he asked the disciples to pray with him, and they kept falling asleep. Matthew 26, 40 says this, Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? He says, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You want to make note of that, okay? Because, see, uh, we've been talking about prayer on Wednesday night. We need to pray to stay close to God so we don't fall into temptation. Peter here is saying, you know, in this situation, here, Jesus is telling Peter to pray in, in chapter 26 of Matthew. And, of course, uh, we see that going on. But then we come over here and we see this where he says, Look, I'm willing to go to prison and even to die for you. And I'm reminded of that statement that Jesus made to Peter. And I think this is what's going on here. I think his spirit was willing... But his flesh was very, very weak. And so that's, here's what I'm trying to say. Is sometimes in God's house, it is easy when we're sitting on that seat or that pew and God speaks in our hearts and we hear him speaking and man, we get charged up and we're going to go, man, I'm ready to storm the gates of hell with a water pistol. I mean, you feel that way and you're like, woohoo, you know, I want to serve God. And then you walk out those doors and what happens? You get bombarded. Your spirit's strong, but your flesh is not as strong as you think it is. The thing is, we, we hear this and we storm out of here and hear me, and I say this in love because my sermons aren't that great, but I can't preach sermons enough up here to sustain you all week long. I can't do it. Charles Stanley couldn't do it. David Jeremiah couldn't do it. The point is, is two sermons or one sermon a week is not going to hold you through an entire week. If you need to be in your Bible, 
daily. You need to be on your knees before God daily. You need to be spending time with God. You need to be uh, talking to Him. This is like, I can't feed you. It's kind of like my children, you know, when they were little, I fed them with a spoon. Oh, well, Connie did. I, I watched. But anyway, but we fed them with a spoon and we fed them baby food. But you know what? Once they got up old enough, they quit requiring us to feed them. Why? Because they were old enough now to go to the refrigerator and get it themselves. And, they, and, and the grocery bill goes up. So you, you know that they are. You see all the stuff disappearing. But, but they go to the refrigerator and they feed themselves daily. They get tea. They get milk. They get whatever. They eat snacks. They get the, you know, the supper and all this kind of good stuff and dinner. The thing is, as you and I grow in Christianity, well, let me rephrase that. We should be growing in Christianity. We shouldn't still be babes in Christ. We shouldn't still be sitting on chairs wanting to be baby fed of the Word of God. You should be growing. You shouldn't be babies anymore. But to be honest with you, and I say this in love, not to you, but church in general, but nine times out of ten, churches look like big nurseries to me because people need to grow up and quit acting like infants and be mature Christians. Quit getting your feelings hurt over the smallest little things and grow up. Get in God's Word. Quit being so focused on yourself and be focused on Jesus. And you're not going to get that unless you study God's Word, unless you pray. Because when you leave this building, that's where the battlefield's at. That's where the war's happening. Matter of fact, that sign says, remember, you are now entering the mission field. This right here is just, it's just it, honestly, this is for me to motivate you, get you charged up, and send you out. This is a locker room, if you want to call it that. That's all this is. This is where we come together as a corporate body of believers and get excited about Jesus and go out there and try to win some to Christ. But if we're not studying God's Word out there and living for Him out there, we're not going to do anything for Him out there. My internship will probably be short here, won't it? So, but that's where we're at. Uh, not internship, interim, but anyway. But that's where we're at. Is we Listen, our spirit is strong sometimes, but because we're not getting into God's Word like we're supposed to. We're not spending time with God. Our flesh is weak. And when we go out there, we falter and we fail. And then we think we're done. You say, Brother Vance, what does that mean? Stay with me because we're going to that point. Notice here. First, and, and I know what you're probably thinking. You're probably thinking the same thing Peter thought. God... I'm not going to fail you. Well, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. He said, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. It's when we think. Have you, ever, have you ever said that in your life? Have you ever had something you battled in your life and then one day you made a mistake of going, Man, i got a handle on that. Don't ever say that. Because as soon as you say that, oh, get ready. Because the fall is coming. We should always be just listen, we need to stay close to God because we realize we can't do anything without God. We need Him. And because when we stray away from Him, it's kind of like watching those, those African safari things on the uh, TV. I don't even know if those come on anymore. I don't have satellite. I ain't had that in 10 years. I got a, a, an antenna, and it don't pick up much. But anyway, but I remember watching these shows, and they would be in Africa, and these, these wildebeests would be going across the, you know, there, and you watch the lines kind of circling them. They're just kind of hanging back. And then you see this one wildebeest. Man, you see it coming, and you get mad at the cameraman because he's not doing anything about it. He's just videoing it. Man, how do you do that? But anyway, the wildebeest, he kind of starts hanging back, and he starts eating this little clump of grass, and you're at home going, no, go, you know, because you see it. It's going to happen. And he starts hanging back, and he's munching, and he's, you know, and all of a sudden the crowd is going on. 
the herd. And he's way back here, and you're going, oh, man, this ain't going to end well. And, I mean, you're just howling at the TV, go, buddy, go. And he didn't go. And he hung back. But you know what? He looked weak, too. That's probably why he was in the back. He's weak. But what does the enemy do? He always preys on the weak. And that wildebeest, he hangs back. He's wimpy looking. He's, he's barely hanging in there, probably to run at a bunch. And, and he, he, just, he just can't keep up. And before long, the, the lions have circled. And now he's isolated. And there ain't nobody coming back to help him. He's in trouble. Satan does us the same exact way. When we don't feast in God's word and we don't spend time with him, we get weak. We start hanging back. We don't, start, we don't show up as much to church. We're not, in, we're not studying our Bibles as much. We're not praying as much. We don't want to hang out with Christian friends as much. And all of a sudden, we've isolated ourselves, so to speak. And we're open for an attack. And that's usually how it happens. I'm, it's, I'm serious. That's how it happens. We need God today. Only by the grace of God are we where we are today. Point three, and I'm done. God tells Peter of his surrender. Now, I love this part. Oh, man, if there was ever a shouting moment, this would be it right here for me. He says in verse 32, the latter part of it. See, the first part he says, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Then he says this, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Man, I love that. I love it. See, Jesus knew you're going to fail. See, here's what I think. See, Jesus knew what Peter was going to be. I don't believe Satan knew. I, he may have suspected what Peter was capable of, but I don't think, listen, God's all-knowing. Satan is not. He doesn't know everything. He doesn't know all that lies in the future. I think he can speculate, but I don't know that he knows. But God does. And so, you know, why does Satan target Peter? I don't know. Maybe he suspected. I have no idea. I've studied that out, and I don't have an answer for you. But I know God knows or knew what Peter was capable of. And he knew he was going to mess up. But he also knew that there was a Pentecost coming too and that he was going to be the one that was going to stand and preach and all those souls were going to get saved. So I love the fact that Jesus says, when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. Matter of fact, if you go into the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, you'll remember, remember, after Jesus was resurrected and they went to the, went to the tomb and the women were there, remember what the angels told the women? It says, they said to them, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. It says this, I think John Philip said this, it's as if heaven had watched Peter fall and it's as if all of heaven wanted to help him back up again. That is some good stuff to me. And here's what I want to close with today. One failure doesn't make a flop, okay? So set all that to say this this morning. We talked about Rahab Sunday night, that she, as a harlot, listen, became a believer of God, hit the two spies in the book of Joshua that helped them come in to take the promised land to help conquer Jericho. But she's also, listen, she's also in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. God used her, a Gentile woman who used to be a harlot. Well, amen. You know what that means? Is we, if you're here Sunday night, God uses people with flaws, okay? So this morning, if you have flaws, then you're in good company. We all do. If you have failed, you're in good company. We all have. But you don't have to stay there. 
See, I mentioned this to you uh, Sunday night talking about Rahab, and, and we'll close with this thought this morning, that Jesus knew Peter was going to make a mistake. But I believe it was through that mistake that made G uh, Peter the man that he was. Because when Peter finally got back where he needed to be at, Peter, listen, I don't know what him and Jesus talked about on that shoreline. Of course, I'm jumping all over the Gospels in my mind right now. But after Jesus resurrected and Peter and the boys went back fishing and they saw Jesus on the shore, Peter jumped in a boat, swam to the, or jumped out of the boat, swam to the shore. A conversation took place on that shoreline between Peter and Jesus. And we'll never know what it is probably. But we do know on that shoreline is when Jesus looked at Peter and said, Do you love me? Three times he asked Peter if he loved him. Now, if I'm Peter, I'm thinking, oh, don't ask me again. You know why? Because the third time you've got to be thinking, I denied you three times like you said I would, and you know that. And you're asking me, do I love you? If I'm Peter, I'm thinking, Lord, just smack me in the mouth. Just be done with it. But please ask me because it's, it's killing me. But Peter was also experiencing the grace and mercy of God right there on that shoreline. Jesus was showing him, I love you, Peter, and I want to use you. You did exactly what I said you would do, but I still love you, and I forgive you. Now I need you to get up and move on. And see, there was coming a day, as we said a while ago, where he was going to stand and preach. And what was so awesome about it is he preached in Jerusalem, the same place in front of the same people who crucified Jesus. That same religious crowd was standing right there. Matter of fact, if you read in the book of Acts, you'll see Peter say, that Jesus, the one you crucified, that's the one I serve. The one who was dead and buried and rose again and is sitting on the right-hand side of the Father. He preached that sermon, knowing that when I get done, I may die right here that day. But it was worth it. So here's what I want to say to you this morning. You may be sitting there and going, man, I, I blew it, Vance. I have, I have, gosh, I'm not where I need to be at. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I've failed miserably. Listen, God may want to take that failure in your life and turn it into a victory. He may want to take that failure, that, that thing you've gone through, and use it to help somebody else. Listen, Peter was one of the best people, along with the Apostle Paul, to preach about grace because they had experienced it probably as much or more than anybody ever had. Nobody is better equipped to share the love of Jesus with somebody else than those who have experienced it. And I don't know about you, but I've experienced my fair share of grace and mercy and Jesus' love. And man, when I, tell, when I share it with other people, I'm not trying to give them Bible knowledge. I'm just trying to tell them what God's done in my life. Look, I'm a mess and God still loves me. He hasn't thrown me away, and He can love you the same way. All you got to do is put your faith and trust in Him. Are you willing to be used by God like that this morning? It's your choice. I can't do it for you. But, but do hear me this morning. That there will come a time when all of us will draw our last breath. There will come a time when Jesus will stand in the clouds and rapture the church out. Which one's going to come first? I don't know. I'm getting older by the day. Death may come before before the rapture does. I don't think it will in my life. I really think the rapture is, is going to be not that far off. But the point is, we're all going to stand before Jesus at some point. So we need to make sure that we are living our lives for Him the way we're supposed to. If you're a Christian, it's time to get up and get busy. If you're lost, 
You need to give your heart and life to Jesus today because if you die in a lost condition, that's how you'll spend eternity. The Bible says that Jesus says that he will say to those who did not have a relationship with him, depart from me, I never knew you. Being in this building will not get you an eternal inheritance with God. Having a mama who says that you were baptized when you were 12 won't get you there. You have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That is taking your life and entrusting it to him and say, God, I believe in you. I trust in you. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Lord, I'm asking you to please forgive me and save me. That's what it means. It means entrusting everything you have to God. But you have to do that today. The best way you can, you need to cry out to God and say, Lord, I need you. So this morning during our invitation time, I pray that you would do business with God in such a way that it would be a decision that you could live with and die with because it will be. So let us pray this morning. Father God, we are so thankful, Lord, for all the opportunities that you have given us in our life, God, to serve you. And God, we thank you for our salvation this morning. We're so thankful, God, that when we mess up, you don't throw us away. Because, God, if that was the case, there wouldn't be anybody here today. Because, God, we all mess up. Every one of us, we fail you. I think sometimes we have a tendency to categorize failures as big and small and say, well, mine's not like his, or I haven't done what she's done. But, God, across the board, we're all a mess. We're all sinners. You don't see big and little. You see sin. And, God, today as a Christian, I'm a sinner saved by grace. But God, my fleshly side wins out some days and, and I have to come back and ask you to forgive me. And God, you are always faithful to do so. You forgive me. God, sometimes I have a hard time letting go of the things that I've done. But Lord, you're faithful. You don't bring them back up. And so God, I pray that the message would be this morning to the people in this building is that Lord, if they failed you in some form or fashion, God, if they would get it right with you, God, they can move on. You're not going to bring it back up. The enemy will, but you won't. So, God, help us to be faithful to you today, God, to live for you, to serve you with all of our hearts. And, God, for that one that may be here today, God, who's not a Christian, Lord, I pray that they'd know how much you love them and that, Lord, that they need you and that every day that goes by is one less day they have to make that decision. God, may you do a mighty work in here this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please stand this morning.